Podcast. The Gospel According to Matthew was written by a former tax collector who was transformed by the power of Christ. Instead of keeping records for Rome, now he would keep records for God, carefully recording all that Jesus said and did. Matthew references more than 60 Old Testament prophecies, proving Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah. Jesus really is who he claimed to be, our Savior and soon returning King. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew. Everybody, it's uh, time to get started. We are headed back to Matthew chapter 7, and Jesus is finishing up. He's in the concluding portion of his great sermon there that we call it the Sermon on the Mount. So let's ask him for his blessing and dive in. Now, Father God, these words which are life changing, we pray, Father God, that you prepare our hearts to receive this truth which sets our hearts free, changes us, washes our mind and our consciences, renews us, sets us on the right path always, God. Encourage our hearts today as we look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. There are a lot of people in this world. I don't know if you notice that or not, and they all live in a 193 countries, they make up 16,500 people groups, and they speak roughly 5,000 languages. But by the end of the day, at the end of the day, I should say, according to the Bible, those 7,744,913,670, according to the population Uh, on uh, Google search goes, all 7 billion of them fall really roughly according to the Bible into two categories alone. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, says there's only two kinds of people who are taking two different roads, which lead to only two distinct and very different destinations. And so it's important now at the close of his sermon to be listening as he's bringing things to a conclusion. He's laid out the truth and now he's wanting a response. It's either heaven or hell and he wants you to choose wisely. Let's read from where we left off and we'll read to the close of the sermon for context. Starting there, chapter 7, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? 
Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire, right? Verse 20, thus by their fruit you will recognize them, he goes on. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, chapters 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Continuing on, I believe. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain comes down, the streams rise up, the winds blow and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished these, saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. Well, that would make sense because he's introduced to us at the beginning as the son of God. And so he is speaking with authority because he's God poured into a human body. Thank you for the verses there. We'll get situated now. And so the answer to the greatest question ever asked is given here in the greatest sermon ever preached because it's preached by none other than the Son of God. And Jesus is looking for a response and he doesn't like to overcomplicate things. The clock is ticking. It's one way or the other, so you must choose. So verses 13 and 14, he uses the metaphor, two roads you can take. And then he moves from 15 to verse 23. There are two religions you can choose. And then he uh, culminates everything in verses 24 through 27 by saying there are two houses you can build, or two foundations, if you will. Two roads, two religions, two houses. Each choice Jesus sets before them and us, radical alternatives with corresponding consequences. And it's the simple. One path leads to life in heaven. Another path, which seems more popular, leads to destruction 
and the verses make it very clear that he's talking about the eternal realities of heaven and hell. But for this morning, instead of walking through all of those metaphors, we'll just take the first one, the, the two gates, which lead to two roads, which lead to two destinations. We'll be looking at that. We'll isolate those verses. Pretty easy, two verses um, before us now. Now, the whole point of the sermon, as he's beginning to kind of close now, is to wake people up. The sermon should be called How to Get to Heaven because that's what he's talking about. And so now as he's wrapping things up, he's asking for a response as every sermon should do. But the context is pretty important. What has he been saying? Well, it started off to get people's attention because first he had to wake them up. It should have been called wake-up call, the Beatitudes, right? And he's trying to tell them that you can't be saved by being basically a good person because there basically is no such thing. He says that you will be, have to be saved in another way other than your own goodness. And he says that so clearly at the beginning, his opening words for a sermon with very high ethical uh, commands given. He opens by saying, blessed are you if you realize that morally speaking, you are absolutely 100% bankrupt. Spiritual poverty means that spiritually speaking before God, you have nothing to offer. You're in debt up to your eyeballs because of sin. And so that leads you to this meekness. He said, blessed are you when you're meek and broken and humble. And that will lead to this greater blessing of a hunger and a thirsting to get right with God, to seek his righteousness, which will lead God to fill you with his righteousness. So he starts the whole sermon that way to let people know, look, your behavior as far as getting to heaven is irrelevant because all have sinned and fall short of the glory. So there has to be another way and God has made that way, but it's a small way because it's exclusive. So that's how he started things up. And if they didn't believe uh, that they really needed to start searching for the true answer, then uh, his, um, his teaching would help them get there. Like, for example, he said, you know the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they seem like pretty religious people, but unless you're mo more devoted to God than they are, you're never going to make it. So now they're, aha, I've got to start looking for whatever way he is going to present, and he's he waits until the end to tell them, that it's a small gate that's the escape hatch that leads to a very narrow and restricted path that ends up in the paradise of God. And so he was telling them things like, you gotta be perfectly loyal to God and equally devoted to love one another, to love even your enemies. <laughs> wow, to pray for those who persecute you, to be kind to nasty people, never to be angry, Never to give way to anger or, or lust or hate or bitterness, man. And then, boy, <laughs> he laid it on the line when he said, even your secret sins in your heart, 
you will be accountable to God about. Well, now everybody in the audience has gasped and they're, 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 they're saying the things that disciples are recorded as saying, then who can be saved? And it says there in Matthew 19, when his disciples hear these kinds of teachings, they say, astonishedly, they're, they're astonished and they say, who then can be saved? And he says, exactly. Unless God does something, unless he intervenes, unless you find, and he will call it, this small gate, you'll never be saved. So it has nothing to do with your behavior. It's about finding a passageway, right? So behavior... Morally speaking, for salvation is irrelevant, has nothing to do with it. It's all about what Jesus did, finding him and passing into eternal life. I think you get the point here. And so let's talk about this text. Notice with me the character of the rescuer who's putting forth the plan. It's a command, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate. It's a command. I don't know if you think of the gospel as like one of the Ten Commandments, because it is. It's as weighty as one of the Ten Commandments. It's in full commandment form. I command you to be saved. I command you to come to Christ and live. I command you not to destroy yourself. I command you to have Life. That's amazing, and it just shows God's heart that he would uh, give us the gospel as a form of a command which can be obeyed or disobeyed so that the, at the end, when somebody is standing on the wrong side of the great white throne judgment, God will say to those sad, condemned souls, oh, it's not my will, but your will be done because we had already heard in the New Testament 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that it is not God's will that any perish, but that all come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. So God's heart is, I command you, just like he told Israel. He says to Israel, this day I call heaven and earth as a witness against you that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that it will go well with you and that you and your children may live. God gives us a choice, sees our predicament, says, hey, a lot of people are going the wrong way, but I've made a way to be saved, and I command you, I command you as God, be saved, repent, and believe in the Son of God, and wash your sins away. And so I command you not to destroy yourself, he says, and who can... Uh, resist God's command. I mean, think about it. God's giving a command. He spoke and the universe leaps into existence. Uh, The stars come when he calls. He calls the stars out and they take their place. They listen. They submit. Isaiah 40, uh, when God orders something, the ocean tides, he says, hey, tides, you can waves. You can go this far. You go no further. They go, yes, Lord. The waves, that's crazy. That's in Job 38, the wind and the waves on the Sea of Galilee in a hurricane force storm. He puts his finger to his lips. The one who created all things and by his word upholds all creation and says silence. And the wind and the waves and the hurricane goes, yes, Lord. 
but those who bear his image. We are the ones who can defy him at our own demise. But that is what love is. Love is giving free choice. And God doesn't give up to the last dying breath. He says, I command you, I have made a way, come to me and live. Now, admittedly, right away, he says that the escape hatch provided is indeed small. He uses the word small. I'll say small because of all the choices in the world, there's only one. If you don't find the only one exclusive way, you will be lost like the rest of the world. And so I'll say it's small. You know what? He said, it's so small, it's singular, it's me. I am the gate. I don't know if I have it. John chapter 10 and verse 9. I am the gate. I'm the gate I'm talking to you about. Whoever enters through me and me alone will be saved. Thank you for that. We can go back to our text. But he's always saying that, those kinds of things. He told people, I'm the way. I am the way. (laughs) Uh, The disciples are saying, you're saying you're going away. You're going to heaven. What's up with this? We don't know where you're going. He goes, what? I'm the gate. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. If you have me, you know the way. He's always claiming. Why? Because he's a big hater of everybody in the world? No, because he's a lover of truth. And he knows that a specified problem demands a specified remedy. Uh, I was watching one of those ER shows. We like those shows. And in in comes somebody who's kind of convulsing. He's unconscious, so he can't tell them what's wrong with him. Now, it could be a lot of different things, right? And you got to know what's wrong with the guy so that you can give him the right therapy, right? So, I mean, it could be trauma. It could be his heart. He could be having a stroke. He could have a massive infection. He could have an allergic reaction. There's so many different things it could be. Gotta know. They even turned him over and they looked up his backside and his front side looking for a a gunshot wound. You never know. So I don't know how it got delayed, but somebody comes up and running in and saying, it's a snake bite. He was hiking. He got bit by a viper. And it's like, bing. What kind of snake was it? Bing. Anti-venom on board now. And the guy revives. Right? Now, does somebody say, wait a second here, doctor. How dare you? How dare you just take that one specific vial and you ignore a whole chest of other vials? Yeah, yeah, because this is the vial for that viper. And you have to have this specific viper. Well, you know, how exclusive, how not tolerant, how crazy, (laughs) you you know, you are. (laughs) What happened to the paddles and what happened to the anti-allergy meds and all of that? You could be doing so much more. And so there are so many other ways, but they're not going to help this problem because there's a problem of sin. And, and, And we, let's go to the real world, we were bit 
by a viper in the garden, chapter 3 of Genesis, and we were poisoned to death to bring us back to life. God says, I've got anti-venom that was created through me becoming one of you and getting bit and then using my blood as an anti-venom from death to life. And those who call on the name of the Lord will receive the blood washing of this anti-venom. And so he's not being a big exclusive meanie who hates and excludes everybody else. He's just saying, I love the world so much that I know that there's one way to live and one way alone, and it's a small gate. I was in line, I use this one a lot. <laughs> I was in line at a coffee shop and somebody uh, saw a t-shirt I was wearing or something, figured it out, started talking to me, unfortunately for them, uh, <laughs> about the Bible. Remember this one? And she's the one who said, I was talking about Jesus and she said, uh, you're talking about him like he's God. <laughs> and I said, bingo, that's exactly who he claimed to be. And she said, that Jesus of yours needs to take his place in this divine circle of Christ emanations. Do I need to tell you the city I was in having coffee? <laughs> so there, there she is with her circle, but Jesus will stand up and say, there's no room for everybody else seated in the circle that I created the circle, I fill the circle, I am the circle. And you must come through me to have life, right? And so there are really two different religions in the world. It's man has to do something or Jesus did everything and you have to trust in him. You see, and so it's small because it's Jesus only, one God, one Savior, one death on the cross, one resurrection, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. That's the way it is. I like in Isaiah 43, the Lord is speaking and he says, I'm God, there's nobody else. Before me, I didn't form any other God, just so you know, I'm the only God, and I didn't form any before me, I didn't form any after me either. So I am the only God, I am the only Savior, apart from me, I know not one. You see? So he kind of has ruled out <laughs> other paths, and he's saying, it's me. I'm the gate. Find me, pass through me. Whoever enters through me will have life. And so maybe you're wondering, I mean, there's no room for Buddha and everybody else. They're just, it's a small gate, right? It's him. Maybe you're wondering that after you get through the small gate, Christ alone, faith, does the road ever open up? become a little bit more breathable, a little bit more spacious. Well, it depends what you mean, and I'll get back to that. But if you mean uh, your devotion and loyalty and love for God, or your love for others, or obeying God's commands, or renouncing and abstaining from sin, or loving what's biblically true and morally right, you see, love has a moral component and a moral of truth to be biblical. If you're talking about any of those things, well then no, 
he says that the small gate yields itself to a narrow, restrictive path. Now, I've got a picture of Hezekiah's tunnel, the rock tunnel uh, there. It's a very narrow place. It's a tunnel uh, thousands years of years old, and it's underneath the temple in Jerusalem. And it's, they say if you have uh, claustrophobia, you cannot go through it because you will have a panic attack. And uh, uh, there were places, it's two feet wide, uh, where you have to go like this to get through. So this is what Jesus has in mind about this road that he's already did chapter 5 and chapter 6 telling you that once you're through the gate, it's really tight and restrictive. Uh, the word, if anybody wants to be my disciple, disciple. Let's see what other words we could think of that might be related to disciple. Dis, uh, discipline, discipline. It's a disciplined life, restricted, tight. And he's already told him. He said, there's no room for your human ego to say, hey, I'm basically a good guy. You want a list of how good I've been in my life? No, there's no room for that. I'm sorry, it's a pretty tight place. Uh, human boasting is out, arrogance. Well, let's say you had a big head, you know? <laughs> <laughs> puffed up with pride, right? Excuse me, is right. You're blocking the road, buddy. It's like, sorry, I've got a problem here. Yeah, because it's a tight road. It's restricted. Where's the room for my pet sins, for my lust and my greed and my coveting and my anger and my revenge and holding grudges and feeling better than everybody else? Oh, well, there's no room. Oh, there's no extra overhead space in the car goes above for you to bring whatever it is you want to bring in there. He says, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to get used to A, telling yourself no, self-denial. The part of you that gets in the way of doing the will of God, you're going to have to die to that. That's why he says, secondly, you have to pick up your cross and follow. Learn to die to things that are not God's will and in God's interest or your own, quite frankly, and pick up your cross. Now, when he says it's a tight road for those who walk with him, he also is alluding to tight as far as adversity and hostility to be, the word comes from to groan. And so this tightness, this restriction of because of Christ, it puts you in an unpopular place in the world. And that everybody who wants to live a godly life in Christ will, promise, will suffer persecution. So he says, oh, yes, let me just tell you right now from the jump, it's a small little entranceway, a gate that, by the way, lets people in and keeps people out. But once you're through, through that faith, you know, this is the thing. It's easy to get through the gate because you just cry out the name of the Lord. It's free. It's by faith alone. But working out that salvation with fear and trembling, as it says in the Bible to do, is not for the faint of heart. It's the hardest slash easiest paradoxical it's the most disciplined, it's the 
most restrictive? This is the path that we take. No room for these things that others who are on a wide path don't have any worries about. And so isn't it the reason only few find it? Why? Uh, Because only few desire it because only a few desire a life characterized by restriction, discipline, and repression. I remember the moment the gospel was before me, I could hear the voice of God in my head, in my heart. Wow. And I remember the, the absolute fear. If I said yes, I know what that meant. It meant a straight and narrow path. And God gives his elect the grace to be able to uh, have the foresight to look at eternal life rather than the immediate, any negatives, any losses, any crosses. For some reason, God graces his people with a supernatural ability to see beyond the offense or beyond the loss of our beloved sins to make the choice for life even though we know that, yikes, (laughs) in our flesh, it seems unattractive. And that is why there are only a few, comparatively speaking. I mean, think about it. Jesus just says it's much more popular to, to have no restrictions, right? And so, I mean, raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. But... Raise your hand if you like being mocked and rejected. Raise your hand if you say, persecution's my thing. I just love it when people persecute me. Uh, Raise your hand if you delight in telling yourself no when you really, really want something, but you know you must say no. Oh, tell me how much fun that is, okay? It's not a lot of fun doing things you often don't feel like doing, right? Not a whole lot of natural human happiness for turning the other cheek, but they're gonna do it, right? I'll tell you, when somebody smacks me upside of the head and I hear, you gotta turn the other cheek, I'll tell you what, there's a little, a little bit, a little fight going on inside of me. Why? Because it's a lot easier to do whatever you want to do on the wide road with no restrictions, no discipline. You call the shots, man. Somebody slap you, slap them back, right? You mean you have to be nice to people and not nice to me? No, I call my own shots. I don't bow the knee. It's a wide way, and many prefer that way because it's easy, it's popular. You make up your own rules. You serve your own God. This is what he's saying. It's a restrictive life. And we need to know that. I was sharing in San Francisco the gospel back when I was in my early 20s. I had a couple friends doing it with me, and we had a stack of Bibles. And uh, we had some tracts, and we're passing them out, right? So we ended up uh, down in the red light district in San Francisco. I think it's on Broadway there. And uh, we were in front of a club, 
And there was a barker out there, a guy trying to get guys to come in. And he thought we wanted to come in and said, no, we're just passing these out. And he reads one and he goes, you guys, you guys are just repressing. You're just repressing your true feelings. You would like to come inside and have a little fun. He says, you guys are just faking it out there and repressing. And one of the guys goes, you're absolutely right. We are repressing our old nature. But what you don't understand is that we have a new nature and we're not obligated to the old nature. We want to do God's will now and not what we used to want to do. And so in that regard, we're not not being true to ourselves. We're being true to our true selves, which have been born again. That self is my eternal self, and we're true to that person. And so, hallelujah, amen? amen? He said it better than I did, but, you know. Now, somebody came up afterwards and said, aren't those kinds of places always on the broad way? <laughs> now, why are they always on Broadway? Go to New York City on Broadway, you know, outside of the entertainment district. But most cities have a Broadway. But Jesus says the whole earth, if you don't have a way in him, you're on the Broadway. The reason it's so broad is because you, if you do nothing, you're on it. Congratulations. You don't even think you're on a path because you have no path. Oh, you're on the broad path. You see, and that's what makes it so hmm, inviting. He says, welcome to the gate that is wide because there are no qualifiers. Every passcode you hit, it's going to open. How easy and wonderful is that? How tolerant and accepting and inclusive is that? 777, it opens. 666, guess what? It really opens. <laughs> You know, that's the deal. The broad gate, as many who go that way because they say all roads lead to God. You can get in there with, uh, we all serve one God. Jesus is the same God for everybody. All of those mixed up ideas. As long as you're sincere and you love people, all of that, bing, open, open, open to whatever philosophy you have in the whole world outside of Jesus you're good. You're on the road. That's why Jesus says it's popular. It's pretty easy. You don't ever have to tell yourself no, except when you feel like it. When it's culturally mandated or, you know, you want to avoid a fine or prison, yeah, right? But how easy is it to get up on Sunday and do whatever you want? Oh, a thought comes in? Hmm, maybe I will, maybe I won't. Oh, Jesus says, you can't even find yourself along my path because it's too restrictive. You've got to lose yourself for my sake. Then you'll find yourself. The, the white path says, you married? You got a few kids? Are you not happy? Oh, you poor baby. <laughs> then what you need to do is abandon your spouse and your kids and go find yourself. 
And then you know what you do? You go and have a TED talk. And then you tell this warm story about how it was the hardest thing you've ever had to do. And you have find the courage somewhere to just come out and say, you know, I only get one life. And it's about me and my happiness. And my life was passing me by, but not too late. I did the courageous thing and I found myself and left the kids and the spouse behind to thunderous applause from the world. Why? Because she or he have entered the broad way. This is welcome. Welcome, that's okay. Jesus would say, you know what? If it's not a legitimate, legitimate, dissolving of the vows abuse, well then, you know what? You lose yourself for the good of that marriage and for the sake of those kids. So you're not all 10 stars happy. Oh, no. <laughs> Whoever died of not being totally happy? Is anybody 100% happy in their marriage? 100% every day, 24-7 beside me? <laughs> Where is she? <laughs> I happen to be, but <laughs> I don't expect everybody else. Right? <laughs> Woo, it's getting warm in here. Yeah, here's what one writer said. Jesus is saying, take the narrower, harder, less popular road now because it ends in heaven. Avoid the wider, easier, more popular road because it ends up in hell. It's really that easy. So he, he wants you to know, yeah, it's restrictive. Yes, a lot of discipline. Yeah. <laughs> it was really tight when he laid himself down and let them restrict his arms and his feet. And in that narrowed pressure cooker, restrictive, excruciating cross came life. And anyone who follows and links with this tight, narrow, self-denying, cross-bearing Christ, remember I said, does the, <laughs> does the narrow road ever widen at all? Yeah, Are you kidding me? It widens if you count the quality of life that's invisible. It may be a narrow, dying, self-denial uh, walk that we take, but there's boundless love. There's, a, there's boundless love. Who can say anything's restrictive about the way God lavishes his love on us that we should be called the children of God? Oh, come on. And that love just sets our hearts free. Is there any boundary in grace and mercy? How about bottomless pit of wisdom? Right? And so the, the weirdest thing of all is you're on the cross, crucified with Christ, as the Bible says, but we're raised to untold blessings without restraint. So we live a constricted, restricted, restraining life of discipline, which unleashes the boundless blessings 
of heaven, which will one day materialize in the paradise of God. You want to talk spacious? In my father's house, he says, are many rooms, wink, wink. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? He said, I go to prepare that place. How long has he been preparing? 2,000 years. Now, I can imagine he could whip something up in a couple days that would be that guy's socks off, right? But if you put God to task and say, hey, you got 2,000 years, I want it nice. <laughs> Come on, people. You are going to get there the first half an hour, you're just going to be, I can't talk. Because you're looking around at all of that. And then in that moment, are you going to say, oh, too bad I stayed in my marriage? Oh, too bad. Too bad I said no to my darling sins. And too bad I couldn't go out and party my life away with my friends. It was so tight. Oh, no. The former things will have passed away. And you said no, no, no. So he says yes, 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 when it counts. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we look to you. We know this is just like Christianity 101, God, but we need to be reminded, God. We haven't made any mistakes. It's hard, but worth it. Help us, God, to stay straight and endure with the grace you provide to live that narrow life so that we might enjoy the blessings of heaven both now in this narrow restricted life and in the life that comes oh God you say our lives are like vapor that appears for a second and poof it's gone and then real eternity starts God help us be found through the small gate and on the right road that leads to life and help us with our compassion and efforts to help others who are not on the straight and narrow path. Help us to have the wisdom, the compassion uh, to make a difference, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.